He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, April 8, 2023. Happy Passover. This episode 143 is big for me because I like the number 43. It was assigned to me when I got to Colorado College as my road number. For whatever reason, 42 at home, 43 on the road, and I did better on the road. I don't know why that is. I like home. I love this home studio. It's worked out great for me, especially this week, because I had a fantastic guest Thursday afternoon. Her name is Morgan Carroll, and she just had a spectacular run as the head of the Colorado Democratic Party. She is a wonderful interview, not just in this episode 143, in episode 50, when she told us all about her amazing background. You should check that out, but we like to talk about current events. That's what I love in a podcast, something that is up to speed, and I try to make that happen. We talk about the Denver mayoral election, and I'm proud to say that we had the top two candidates on our show Episodes 134 and 136, Kelly Bruff and Mike Johnston, respectively. And wow, they were great. And now it's going to be one of them who will be the next Denver mayor. There's a big development in the Denver mayor's race because Morgan Carroll, who is no longer a state party chair, can endorse whatever Democrat she wants, and she wants to endorse Mike Johnston. I don't know if it's an endorsement. It's just a direct answer to my direct questions. She said Mike Johnston is the better choice. About an hour into our interview, we get around to the Denver mayoral situation. And wow, is that interesting. So many fresh developments. Just on Friday evening, we find out about this. Matthew Kaczmarek, federal judge in Amarillo, Texas, The only judge there appointed by Trump, file in that courthouse. You are going to get him. And it's like Trump has planted little bombs all over America with guys like this. Going to overrule the FDA on an abortifacient, medical abortion pill that's been legal and used safely for over 20 years. Yeah, right. There's a judge in Washington who has issued a contrary ruling now it's going to the Supreme Court. What could go wrong? Well, it could be that a lot of Supreme Court justices are on the take. You ever heard of Trammell Crow? Yeah, Trammell Crow, that real estate company, the guy who got all the money from it, that Crow, he lives in Dallas. And what does he do with his money? He tries to protect it. And he buys off judges like Clarence Thomas, who he befriended a long time ago, 25 years ago. Of course, Clancy's been on the court 
for 33 years. And the guy buys them million-dollar vacations every year for him and Jenny. And by the way, he's given millions to other causes affiliated with Jenny Thomas. It's all out there, and it's just corrupt. You'd never bet on a Super Bowl if the Cowboys were playing and Jerry Jones had paid for luxury vacations for 25 straight years for the refs and their spouse. Come on now. What kind of democracy do we have going? I get into that with Morgan Carroll. She's very concerned. There are so many threats to democracy, but a threat to our lives is this gun issue. And we saw it in uh, our community, Colorado East High, where my mama went. I went to New York City to see Donald Trump turn himself in. I have to ask myself, how come I went when he said he was going to be arrested that Tuesday in March, but Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't go? What did she know that I didn't? Because when he really got arrested, she showed up, right? But that's when the DA said he was going to issue an indictment. Doesn't that seem like a long time ago? I talk about that with Morgan Carroll. And I kind of wish I was there, but the guy was chastened. I don't think that case will ever go to trial. And there are aspects of it that's not fair, but what's not fair is Donald Trump and the way he talks, the way he acts, the way he deliberately divides America. You've heard my theories on Putin pulling the strings. And Putin's in big trouble arresting Wall Street Journal reporters. And now somebody's gotten a hold of our secrets. Jeez, how could that happen? And it's all over the Internet. The Middle East is in big trouble And we need outstanding leadership. Morgan Carroll makes the case that Joe Biden provides that. I submit that Morgan Carroll might provide it in the future. She was a state senator of considerable renown. And with this six-year winning streak, God knows what she could do next. Governor Morgan Carroll someday, President Morgan Carroll. Dave Gunders is satisfied being our troubadour. His song, A Place in the Sun, is perfect for what's going on in Tennessee. The blending of civil rights, race relations, and this damn gun issue. And when the two Justins and this Gloria Johnson stood up, Justin Smith, and oh my gosh, have you seen Justin Pearson? They stood up like MLK, and maybe this is the moment when a new generation takes over. That's the gist of the song by Dave Gunders. It's called Place in the Sun. It's spectacular that you are with me on Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Colorado time. Give a listen to my sponsor, Michael Bailey, and then enjoy Morgan Carroll. Thanks a lot for listening. If you like the show, and I know I do, you can follow it on Apple, leave a five-star review, tell your friends. If it makes you happy, it might make them happy. Just happy that we're talking about current events, fresh conversations with people that matter like Morgan Carroll. Thanks for listening. 
gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887, or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead, who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Are you ready, Morgan Carroll? I am ready, Craig. <laughs> do you want to put on your headphones? Sure. Or do you? I don't know. What's the I benefit? like it because I'm an old radio guy. How does that feel? Feels like a pro. You know what? You are a pro, and we're going to talk about your new career, but I have to tell you that I heard one of the greatest podcasts ever and since we're on a podcast that I hope will be good, you want to hear about it? Yeah, let's hear about it. I don't necessarily like to go back and review my life. So as a consequence, I'm not necessarily listening to myself. I don't know if you're that way. I'm that way. I'm that way. But I thought maybe I should listen to episode 50 because I remember Morgan Carroll was on. She was tremendous. But you were beyond it spectacular episode 50 it was a big show it was my one year anniversary and you told us all about your parents and about your remarkable upbringing can i just sum it up that what'd you say you were the child of an atheist and an agnostic but your mom got involved with a bolder effort to save soviet jewry she took you over there at age 11 oh my god your dad spoke 13 languages served 10 years in the Colorado legislature. They were both great lawyers. They worked together. They worked separately. They raised you. You worked on the kibbutz when you were 16. Everybody's got to go back to episode 50 because you are remarkable. And on the issues, you called it. You know, this was pre-Ukraine, pre-Dobbs. So we have a lot more to do. And in the interim... You are the most successful person I know. 
you led the Democratic Party to total victory. How does it feel to have uh, accomplished all that? And let's start with episode 50. Do you remember that? Do you remember how great you were? I don't remember how great I was, but I remember a great conversation. And it's just a human part of my life I don't always get to talk to. So I appreciated being asked because, frankly, I was raised by two amazing parents. And I don't want to chew my cabbage twice or have you do the same. And much as you love your parents, I want to plow new ground and really recommend everybody go back to episode 50 to find out what shaped Morgan Carroll to the fantastic success story she is now. Here's the cool thing. She's got a future. She's young. She's a power player. She knows everybody and everything. Let's not bury the lead. What are you going to do next, or do I have to guess? Oh, we have to wait until maybe next episode or not too long before I can announce it. But the theme that everything I've done has had in common is where are we struggling in society and what can I do? Like whatever skills, experience I can pull together, is there something I can do about it? And when I first became chair of the Democratic Party six years ago, it was not my plan. Um, Really, I had just come off of a congressional run and suddenly Trump was elected and a different kind of Republican Party had taken over a majority of the House, uh, U.S. House and U.S. Senate. And I was seeing in that moment that our democracy was in deep, deep trouble. And I thought, you know, if I don't reinvent the Democratic Party and there's no opposition party to this, we are right there in an authoritarian moment that frankly hasn't gone away. And so the work of the party became even more important. Right. But the cool thing is this is episode 143. Back on episode 50, you spoke this way. You saw the danger and you got activated. And like the proof is in the pudding. We have all Democratic officials in Colorado. We have a state house dominated by Democrats. Thank goodness. And this is coming from a guy who's been independent my whole life, but the Republican Party now, that's not your father's Republican Party, is it, Morgan Carroll? I don't recognize it. Even from when I first came in the legislature back in 2004, you could work with Republicans on certain issues. And there was a state's person expectation, like that people could actually be civil and cordial and work together. Um, that is so far gone. And what we're seeing right now, just right this week, is just pure obstruction for obstruction's sake, reading bills without even having the imagination to have a debate, to filibuster. And so the mission, sure, Trump was part of it. But along the way, for every one of these, for folks who maybe aren't quite as politically, you know, plugged in as you might be, over six years, we won the presidency, both U.S. Senate seats. We uh, picked up the brand new 8th Congressional District. We got the majority of the state Senate back. We have the largest majorities in the House and Senate that has ever happened in the state. We flipped the majority of the State Board of Ed and the CU Board of Regents for the first time in decades and decades. And so right now, I'm concluding um, my sixth year of six as president, where it was not a given. This was not a foregone conclusion. Frankly, this terrified me every day and was waking me up getting to do it. But right now, we are sitting at the highest number of elected Democrats in the history of Colorado. 
It feels good. Boy, I'd hate to be your successor. The only place you can go is downhill, right? I hope not. Uh, we just elected a new chair this last weekend. His name is Shad Murab. I think he is very committed to making sure we hold these gains and is wanting to expand some of the work on more down-ballot races, and uh, he's hoping to expand these majorities, so I sure hope he I sure hope he can do that. Yeah, but this is like following Tom Brady. Holy cow, <laughs> your success record. But unlike Tom Brady, you're getting out on top. It's more like Elway, although he just left town. He's not as good at his next job. I got to find a perfect comparison for you, somebody who went out on top and kept excelling, because I see you going places. I'm going to guess throughout the show your next moves, okay? Um, okay, except I might take the fifth. All and, right, and I know, but I'm going to describe your facial expression, okay. Okay? <laughs> okay? You don't have to answer, but does it involve professional sports? Definitely not. Okay, so we're going to rule that out. Does it involve <laughs> political office? Um, Not at the moment. Well, you were a state senator for a long time. Do you have that bug again? Would you like to be a political leader? What I loved was policy, really loved policy. So the electoral stuff was always a means to an end where you could actually make laws, change laws, change public policy, affect a whole lot of other people. So that will always remain a top love for me because how cool is that? Like how often in life do you get to actually make and change laws and try to solve problems that way? You are a great lawyer. That's the way we met. Go back to episode 50. We met at the Colorado Trial Lawyers. What about that path? You can make millions of dollars. I bet firms all over the country <laughs> want to. Um, the kind of law, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, it's got to be a cause-based kind of law. And sometimes the causes you take on really aren't about money. Uh, the law practice for me really never has been. So, um, But I think the, uh, the experience of practice of law has helped with strategy. It has helped understand some of the policies that affect justice or get in the way of justice. And I think the training as a trial lawyer both has you ready for handling challenges and opposition, but being quick on your feet. And basically, it's an advocate's course. So whether it's like policy or law or anything else, what won't change is that I'm still going to be the same advocate I've always been on the same issues. Well, I know that. And we talked in episode 50 about this special responsibility that lawyers have in this time of turmoil in our country that's not getting any better. But there have been other times of turmoil. Dare I say, back in Egypt, it was rough for the Jews. We're recording this on Pesach. Happy Passover. Happy Passover, Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. And if you want to hear how Morgan Carroll became a Jewish person, episode 50, it's remarkable. She had a mind of her own, and she got her whole family involved. Kettle this in episode 50, but tell me, now that you've been a Jew for decades— What's Passover like at your house? Well, the cats are part of it, 
Uh, it's COVID. K-A-T-Z or C-A-T-S? <laughs> C-A-T-S. They're okay. part of it. So I know it's some cats. And we've the got family, a... Yes. That's funny. We've got a, a vegan and a vegetarian household, so there's no uh, lamb shank involved <laughs> necessarily. We've got a vegetarian ice Passover Seder, but the wine is always going to be part of it because, you know, it is. The reclining is always going to be part of it. And... Um, Really taking inventory of who is still oppressed and and who still needs liberation and freedom, is is a, is a, a given every single Passover right. anywhere was, in the world. Yes, it's about an authoritarian. You know all these labels. You're a fascist. No, you're a fascist. You know. Okay, I guess that was Mussolini's thing. I think he was part of the far right. You and I debated how it irritates me that right wingers want to. Oh, the Nazis were left-wing. We dispel that. But the bottom line is we have to seize the high ground on all of these things, right? Otherwise, they will twist the language. And what I want to get at is authoritarianism. It means that you have one authority, like Trumpism. Say you have a political party. Hey, let's make our platform whatever this guy says. And now we keep seeing it. Whatever Trump says goes... That's authoritarianism, and that's bad. That's the story of Passover, and authoritarianism, as I wrote in my recent Colorado Sun column, it's always bad for the Jews, it's bad for gay people, it's just bad for any marginalized community, right? It is. It's been bad for women, it's been bad for people of color, it's been an uptick in hate crimes, whether it's the Sikh community, the anti-Semitism and the hate crimes. Uh, that we're seeing going on around the country. And when um, I think the amount of vitriol that has been built of just pure hatred on the label of Democrats or, or liberals has made it harder for people to hold up a mirror when the old Republican Party really left. Um, you and I both know people who've been Republicans their whole life and many of them quietly will be like, this is not good because we need it's it's question whether we need more than two parties, but we definitely need more than one party. And right now, the Republican Party is unrecognizable. It's not about small government. It's not about um, it's not even about the evangelical Christian views of how to treat each other when we're at a point where we th- this cult around one person that you're talking about has shown that if anyone else had had the behavior, the vulgarity, the 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 marital history, the the uh, basically the groping and the sexual harassment, and there used to be a part of a Republican Party that was like, okay, we're about family values, not anymore. Low taxes, no, 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 no. It's going up on the middle class just to do tax breaks for the rich. It's not about that. It's not about small government. I don't know what has happened to the current Republican Party, but it is terrible for democracy. And I say that as the past most recent chair of the Democratic Party. It's no good for us. Now you're giving clues about your next job. I think you are going to be battling against this somehow, some way. Colorado Sun had an article about a group getting ready to spend a lot of money against Lauren Boebert. Is that it? It's worthy. (laughs) It is worthy. It is worthy. Um, You know, we did some focus groups in the 3rd Congressional District. And one thing Adam Frisch did so well is he built 
what he called the coalition of the normal. And we had small farmers, ranchers, ag folks, small business people who have never in their life not voted for a Republican. But what the results show in such a strongly Republican-leaning area is that Adam found, frankly, embarrassed Republicans and a whole heck of a lot of unaffiliated that were like, she doesn't not represent me. But um, we'll see if if they're able to move that because redistricting left that third. Well, I know, but you know who talked about this over two years ago about CD three might be winnable. It was Morgan Carroll. I saw episode it. Fifty. <laughs> I saw it. We did. You we know worked Adam Frisch then because he had to survive uh, a tough primary. But is he the man who's going to get the job done? I had him on early on as well. I wrote a column in the Colorado Sun. When did you see that maybe this could work? So I thought we could win the third even before we knew it was Adam. He was one of the later candidates to file. But really, I did data analysis, and I am a fourth-generation Coloradan, and I looked and spent time in each of these counties, and I'm like, I see a path to victory, both on issues and on the data. So we started the work on the CD3 project before we ever knew who our nominee was. And then when it did turn out to be Adam, he worked his tail off, he raised money, he visited every corner, and the National Party paid no attention. We got within 500 votes purely based on his hard work and the state and local parties. So, yep, we almost did it. Now, why couldn't you say, hey... You've got to know everybody. This is the name-dropping portion of the podcast. (laughs) Because you've been in the halls of power just, what was it, a couple weeks ago? You were at a national shindig with your pal Joe Biden and Kamala. Do these people know you on a first-name basis? Do you hug? I mean, it's been six years that you've been doing this. You've got to be one of the familiar faces. Go ahead. Drop some names. (laughs) So I'll tell you... Nancy Pelosi, we were at a retirement uh, celebration for her. Her ability to remember names is extraordinary. And she remembers even back to when I ran for Congress. Classy, and I just, I I think one day she'll really uh, get her place in history. Um, There's a podcast. I hope you're not in a rush, because I'm not. But I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi, who... Was a boogeyman of the right for many years. Maybe I bought into it, but her spine standing up to Donald Trump, I love that woman. And when her husband got attacked, it kicked in my prosecutorial genes. I blame Donald Trump for that. And then Elon Musk to do that retweet suggesting Paul Pelosi was involved in a gay love affair. That told me everything I need to know about Elon Musk Bad man, uh, a cause for constant concern. And if you ever see Nancy Pelosi, tell her that I underestimated her, like a lot of Americans. She's remarkable, and she may have saved America, especially with this January 6th committee. I agree. Um, I got to hug Congressman Benny Thompson at our last Obama gala. Humble, hero, patriot. And just so down to earth, and I was starstruck, speaking of dropping names, because what he, and they had to get extra security detail, what he did in just exposing the truth 
uh, to America so that it couldn't be swept under the rug of like, oh, hey, it was just sort of a rowdy protest. It was thoughtful. It was organized. It was laid out. The American people, there was a risk that we never could have found out what really happened on that day. And Nancy Pelosi was a strategy to make sure that it didn't just get swept away. But Congressman Benny Thompson was the most dignified, careful, prepared uh, chairman as he laid out the case to the American people. You took the word out of my mouth, dignified. Dignified. And that's what you need in any kind of official proceeding. There's a judge in New York. I hope he has it in him. He's got a good reputation, but... You have to run a courtroom the right way like that guy did in the Alex Murdoch trial down in South Carolina. Good judge, vital. Good legislative leaders, vital. So let's keep dropping names. Who else? I mean, do you know Adam Schiff? I do. Well, and by no, I've, you know, I've met Adam Schiff really a couple times in this. I mean, in the political business, you meet a lot of people both in their official capacity and see how they are really behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Adam Schiff is an amazing human being, wicked smart, very prepared, very principled. Um, you know, the uh, the Democratic chairs have an association where you get together with all the other Democratic chairs across across the country. Biden, Biden is a hugger with everybody, male, female, old, young, and he remembers names too like anybody else. You can't help but feel like an old friend every time you run into President Joe Biden, and he's still the same Joe Biden as he was really before he was president. No, no, let's back up. Now you're getting to the really big names, okay? And if you ever see Adam, just say, from one lawyer to another, nice he job. was spectacular. Nice you, job. Impeachment number one, the Ukrainian perfect call. Yeah, right, Mr. President. Adam Schiff undressed the president and predicted what would happen if we let him get away with it. And he was masterful in his presentation. I would sit in my car because I could not miss a word. He was so good. And he's like uh, Nancy Pelosi. He gets so disparaged by the other side. And you know why? Because they're so good. Now because to Joe they're effective. Biden. They're, because they're effective. You know, um, I think in the end, history may wind up recording Joe Biden as one of the best presidents of history. And I know that sounds hard for some folks to believe right now. But when you look at an actual record, he pushed policies in a way that a lot of other folks would have been too cautious to do. He's used his appointment authority to bring more of America into appointments, into judgeships. Um, Who he has tapped for appointments for judges for cabinet positions shows a a real commitment to bringing high quality do you remember when trump came in and he'd have all these unqualified judges and people who basically never tried a case and you know who uh their only quality needed to be just undying loyalty right I mean, the resumes of who we're pulling in here. Right, but but while we're on the subject, and you brought it up, and I'd like to hope that history will record him as the all-time great president, but it really depends on, in my opinion, the attorney general, the chief prosecutor of America, Merrick Garland, who he appointed, Jack Smith underneath. These guys have a big job. Um, 
right? And I mean, I think a, a part of America is like, why haven't we seen more consequences already, right? Yeah, so, like me, and we we talked about it on episode 50, and you said, hey, they couldn't do anything while he's president. It's like, I'm sure something will happen now, but where's it been? It's been slow. And so I fill in the gap with a hope that they're making an airtight case, mm-hmm. that you don't do it in a half-hearted way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clear there's an MO of not only attacking, but pretty clearly inviting violence against people who try to hold Donald Trump accountable. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the DA, Alvin Bragg, you know, it, it's it's not even a dog whistle in terms of its subtlety. It's very clear, like, this guy's the enemy and basically inviting an attack. This is how Paul Pelosi gets hit in the head with the hammer. This is how other people who try to just treat Donald Trump like any other American are, are put in harm's way um, with basically a mob mentality to go after him. So I think part of the time has been building the case. I think some of it's been political reluctance. But always knowing that the statement's going to be, oh, it's a witch hunt, it's a witch hunt. If you ever hold me accountable, it's 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 just simply a witch hunt. Well, let me give them a defense because they need to get the testimony of critical witnesses. Otherwise, they may say anything. Put them under oath. Yep. Now Mike Pence is going to testify. Yep. You know, he had to pretend like he didn't want to. But the law makes clear... We are entitled to everybody's testimony. There are a few privileges here and there, but some of this horse crap, my God, he's the victim of a crime. They've pierced the attorney-client privilege through the crime fraud exception. So Jack Smith's doing his job, and I don't discount that Biden might not go down as one of the all-time greatest. Better to go slow, get it right, make sure you have every witness recorded, I get it. I like it. And there's a certain beauty to New York City going first. This is their homegrown monster, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? We're like, could you have just kept him in yes, New York, please? Right. And then, Fonnie Willis, <laughs> could you get busy? But I want to go back to you <laughs> and Joe Biden because I, I, I've i never met the man. I just, you know, I met Barack Obama. I met Bill Clinton. I met George W. Bush. But I've never met Joe Biden. But I have to imagine He's proud of his heritage, like me. I talk about being a Jewish American. He's an Irish American. He sees Morgan Carroll, <laughs> redhead. You used to have freckles. I don't know if you've grown out of it or whatever. Beautiful woman. We know he likes that, too. He's got to say, ah. Family. Family. <laughs> Tell us how those discussions have gone. I think Joe Biden is someone who genuinely cares about people he lights up and i've seen him in photo lines with other people he delights in meeting people in sharing stories i believe that but for irish americans he's going to ireland next week it's personal it's beautiful and is there something where he's like hey you're part of the family maybe not explicitly but i i definitely felt just comfortable not, you know, not the office, not the formality, but just... Well, give us some behind the scenes. Well, okay. So some maybe, personal story. Just give us some Bidenisms. Maybe he has also really great staff, right? But he knew back when I was in the state legislature, he knew 
when he was approaching me about my whole state senate, state legislative background. What was he then, VP? This is even his president. Oh. And so it's like, okay, it's Colorado, it's state, it's uh, it's been a while, it's certainly wow. not at the level of president, so he knows. And he takes your hand and he holds both sides and he looks you in the eye and he says, you know, I was in the state legislature, I state senate's one of the best jobs I've ever had, and he's saying this even though he's president of the United States right now. And in the moment of connecting about like experiences in local government um, and lifting that up, he is ennobling the work that other folks are doing. He's making it feel like, yeah, you're talking to the president, but he thinks your work in the state Senate is the most important thing. or you know, And it feels very genuine. It's taking him back into something that's, um, you know, fond and effective and, 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 Every person I've seen him meet, he really is lifting people up, whether it's teachers, whether it's nurses, and he loves stories. That's maybe the Irish in him too, but he loves people's stories. He remembers people's stories. He retells people's stories, and I think those are the stories he takes with him when he's trying to face the tough stuff, the opposition, when he's trying to move the needle on public policy. He doesn't just listen to the stories. He remembers the stories of so many people he's met. And I think it's it's part of just a very human motivation for him. You had a powerful father, state senator John Carroll, right? And uh... he was in the actually he was in the house for 10 years and also very humble. Like he hardly ever talked about that there. But we were going back looking, my oldest sister and I were going back looking at his legislative record, and the Dems were in the minority back then. Almost everything he introduced was just killed. So I wish he was here. You know, I wish he would have still been here. Right. And Joe Biden, the aura he gave off, did you think that's sort of like my father? This sort of Who would you compare him to? He comes off to me as really confident, optimistic. And yeah, I can see the personal touch, but I just wonder how it feels to be around him. Is he like a mentor? Is he, he feels an like uncle? a mentor. I think he genuinely likes to lift people up. And when I would just say it feels like being around grandpa. Okay. You know, just um, someone who cares about you, is looking out for you, but isn't going to scold you. <laughs> isn't it wonderful? Because I'm sure the guy had his pugnacious days, and he's talked about it with corn pop or whatever. But it's good that he's older because he can handle Trump. And same with Pelosi. Those two, because of their age, they're not intimidated by Trump the way like Ron DePantis, I mean, Ron DeSantis is. I mean, <laughs> holy cow, he intimidates other Republicans, but that doesn't work with Joe or Nancy. No, there's wisdom. Right. And wisdom comes at different times in all kinds of people's life. But I think the country needs it now. And the kind of stewardship that we need are people who have enough ballast to not get thrown off track by infinite distractions. Right. And that's part of being a little wiser, a little older. Think how a younger person would take the bait when they're talking about your kid and your family. I would have taken the bait. I mean, you know, it would have pushed my buttons and I couldn't have held my cool. But man, both of those leaders have managed to really keep their cool under. And and when anyone who watched the January 6th hearings or have seen the behind the scenes footage, 
with Nancy Pelosi, Mm -hmm. who was the level-headed leader of the nation when our president was basically treasonously asking to hang the vice president and trying to get people into the U.S. Capitol without guns and inviting violence, basically, against other people that were there. And um, you see the scenes behind, and she's still calm. She's on the phone. She's working with the vice president. You know, it was a moment that revealed where the leadership, where the adults were in the room. And I don't know if we if we didn't have a Nancy Pelosi in that moment, it could have turned out actually differently. And if we didn't have 140 cops willing to get hurt or who didn't turn for the other side like Trump thought they would, Mike Pence could have been hung. They had the gallows set up. Donald Trump could have come to the Capitol. Who knows? He could have gotten killed in the melee, too. And Nancy Pelosi would have been president. Or they or they would have gone after her. Of course. But I also have to say that while Mike Pence is not necessarily a role model person in every way, he could have capitulated to Donald Trump's pressure when it came time to basically throwing out the Electoral College votes and making up Electoral College people. And we now know how much pressure the secretaries of state, the other Republican elected officials were, and that Mike Pence himself was under a different Mike Pence, a different person might have just caved. Right. And I'd like to think maybe it was his legal training. He was a lawyer, and then he did a weekend radio show. And I did, let, let's let's say that he's uh, a somewhat decent person, and yet he wants to survive in the Republican world. He's put up this fight, but now he has to testify. I think he's probably going to tell the truth. And I want to know, did Trump call him a pussy, a wussy, a sissy? I want to know. And that's all going to become public now because it's not privileged. Right. And this pressure campaign by Trump, it's all coming undone. Yeah. I went to New York City when he told me he was going to be arrested. I said, if he's going to put on his show like that, I saw three Broadway shows in two days since he didn't show up. Isn't it interesting? Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't show up two Tuesdays ago like me. She waited until the DA said that there was an indictment because I guess she didn't trust Trump that much. But I showed up. I liked I liked the Big Apple. I like going. But watching that this week, I might have gone back, but for Passover, had to be here for the double satyrs. Tell me your thoughts seeing what happened in New York City this week. So I guess part of me is amused, even if I shouldn't be. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene shows up and thinks she's going to get this hero's welcome because she's been in this echo chamber of fringe for a really long time. And I think she basically got booed out of existence and ran away. Like, I think she was legitimately surprised that people weren't like, oh, yay, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. And and the fact that there were counter-protesters in New York, I'm proud of New York, because even Republicans in New York have had a history of just being sane. Right. You know, for the most part. Back when Rudy was sane. I think he was back then. He used to be. John Lindsay was a Republican (laughs) mayor of New York. It could happen. 
Yeah, right. it's been a little bit, but it used to be. Enough. I'm not sure MTG was that stupid. She could not have expected a great reaction, and she kind of got whistled down, shouted down. That's the show she wanted so she could go on Tucker Carlson and complain, but did you see that soft massage that Leslie Stahl gave MTG on 60 Minutes? Ew, no. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't don't get myself. watch it. It'll make you sick. <laughs> I didn't have the stomach At for that. At one point, she said she's smart and so, uh, smart. No, no. Right, no. And Leslie. And then when she said Democrats are all pedophiles. Right. And Leslie said, oh, my, really? You know, it's like... That was her response. She's been panned. And, and let's face it, you know legislatures. She's the most powerful person in the House next to Kevin McCarthy, and she kind of controls him. When a speaker needs as many votes as Kevin McCarthy did, and Marjorie Taylor Greene becomes the face of like a deal to get him the votes, yeah, I think in a way she has now eclipsed him in terms of actual center of gravity and control for power in, in the Republican House. I think McCarthy may wind up being one of the weakest speakers we've ever seen. And then she went to Mar-a-Lago. She is a favorite of Donald Trump. I mean, the events the other day, uh, the judge warned him, uh, but he went down there, talked his usual shit. And he is delusional. And he, and if I was a defense attorney, he laid out his defenses in every investigation. He gives a daily deposition. It's all, I hope, going to come down on him. Alvin Bragg, the accusation is he's too political now. You know, when I ran for DA against Bill Ritter in 1996, my whole campaign theme was politics and prosecution are a poor mix. I still don't think you should be affiliated to be a prosecutor, but that's the system in Colorado. But what about this accusation about Alvin Bragg? Do you know him? You run I, I, I don't know him, but I think that it's a way to delegitimize the judicial and legal system is mm -hmm. to make it personal. I mean, it's the MO for everything, right. which is when you're stuck and you have nothing of value to say, you just do an ad hominem attack. And so anyone who has ever dared to check and balance, to be a check and balance to Donald Trump becomes public enemy number one. So they change the subject and say he's political. Well, look, it was a grand jury right. that made this decision. And and it's the, it was smart to do it through a grand jury instead of just bringing the charges directly because he probably knew that whatever he did or didn't do was going to be accused as political. So I think, you know, the press should be careful that really these indictments came from a grand jury. Right. But I think they have to do that in New York. But I'm not going to put the guy down because to me, Trump is worse than Al Capone. And I support Capone going down on tax charges. The guy lied and cheated to win in an election. He had a catch-and-kill campaign that he caught and killed himself. I think it's perfect. Let this be the beginning. Fonnie Willis next, and then move on to Jack Smith. I mean, the perpetual fraud yes. that Donald Trump is and has conducted all of his affairs, business or political, will eventually catch up with him because he he. it's like someone who lies so habitually they haven't even 
paid attention to keep track of their lies. He engages in fraud in terms of grifting for fundraising for organizations that don't exist, for how he ran the government, for how he contracted, for how he dealt with his employees. Fraud is the single word that defines who Donald Trump is, and fraud is both criminally and civilly what's going to take him down. Absolutely. If you look up fraud in the dictionary, there's a picture of Donald Trump. But I have my concerns. First of all, I worry that Kentucky Fried Chicken will get him first. Okay. (laughs) So I shouldn't laugh. (laughs) And and then, no, you should laugh. Thank you for that. And then I do worry that that he will never go to trial. This New York case, I'll predict it never goes to trial. I just don't see it happening. I don't know what's going to happen in between, hopefully, more serious convictions. I mean, when you put the next court date in December and it's the start of April, that's not on a fast track. But something's got to give. And I don't see this guy ever sitting through a trial. So Kentucky Fried Chicken jokes aside, what's the worst that can happen? Civil unrest? I mean, the House Republicans seem to be in total lockstep. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, Kevin McCarthy. They are pre-framing an excuse for violence again. Mm -hmm. And I think what has been so exasperating for me about this is I don't want Donald Trump to be treated worse than anyone else. And I don't want him treated better than anyone else. And our entire American system of justice really only works if no matter who you are, your title, your position, your privilege, your money, that the same set of rules apply and you and I both know people who are doing time in prison for less. Well, let's go back to New York, because I don't think a lot of people would get charged. But if you are a serial criminal, then they're going to look for ways to charge you. I have no mercy there. I would say anybody and everybody would be charged in Georgia for making those calls and putting together those fake electors. So that case is totally righteous. And what Jack Smith has in store, they coordinated on January 6th to have that insurrection. They coordinated through Roger Stone and Steve Bannon. These guys are still out there, and Musk lets them back on Twitter. I'm worried about what they're going to stir up at just the right time, and it's going to be around some point of accountability, right? Right. I mean, and actually what the DA in New York is bringing out isn't even the worst of Donald Trump's crimes. Oh, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's I like mean, it's, jaywalking. It's like, okay, he kept separate books because like he was doing hush money to a porn star. Like this is tacky. It was political and embarrassing. It but he only did the, the hush money because he knew it would cost him the election. So it became a campaign contribution way over the limit. And any numbers right. he's going to lie on his taxes. So The laws, I think, pretty clear there actually about just I think they were very stepwise about how they laid it out but the moral force as concerning as that is what his worst offenses in office have yet to really face legal account his worst offenses were threats bribery extortion against election officials in states trying to overthrow an election, and basically inviting violence in the political space to undo American democracy. That is 
the most morally unacceptable thing that he has ultimately done in his lifelong pattern of fraud and everything else. Um, And he has shown that as people get closer to these other cases, as he gets closer, these jurors are going to need extra security protection. Why? Because he's inviting violence. The judges are going to need extra security protection. Why? Because he's just openly, defiantly inviting violence. The lawyers are going to need extra security protection. We have someone who held the highest office in the United States of America who is openly threatening every actor in the American legal justice system and in our elections. So it is a campaign finance violation to do what he did. It is fraud on his business books to do what he did. That is not okay. But when you look at the long arc of the damage this person has done and the laws he has violated, that's just the beginning. Right. If he gets his way, he'll destroy democracy. He will destroy the legal system. The legal system has to be destroyed. Otherwise, it will expose him. Same thing he does with the media. He has to demonize the people who will expose him and create his own media, American media company, David (laughs) Pecker. I was thinking about this. We Jews... We, we have a lot of different opinions, right? They say, you know, get uh, three Jews together, you'll get five different opinions. We know the joke, but Jews, generally speaking, are not that pleased by Donald Trump having Nick Fuentes and Kanye West over for dinner. There's something about neo-Nazis over for a Thanksgiving meal at your vacation resort, dining with you, Mr. President, that I don't like. Morgan Carroll, do you like I it? I don't like it. I bet Michael Cohen didn't like it, but he's uh, an interesting guy. I love his podcast. What a spot he's in. Yeah. But I bet Alan Weisselberg probably didn't like it. The guy is still paying for his lawyer's bills, but David Pecker, I don't think he likes it. He celebrates Passover too. You know, I wonder if Donald Trump thinks about these things. Pecker knows almost everything about this guy. He has the vault. My guest three podcasts ago, Barry Levine, worked with him at National Enquirer. Trump's secrets are out there. You're right about that. And we know the witnesses. And some of them might not like Donald Trump. And once they see the building start to collapse, can you imagine everybody running with the truth forward, including Mike Pence, including David Pecker, this it's could be telling, amazing. It's telling, Craig, that how quickly he makes motions to block witnesses to prevent subpoenas from being honored yes. because that's the truth he's afraid of. Right. No. But uh, all those privilege objections have been uh, overruled. Let's talk about the courts, though, because Clarence Thomas has been exposed. Have you seen this ProPublica piece? A billionaire has been paying many millions of dollars to take Clancy and Ginny on vacation overseas to the Bohemian Grove, here, there, everywhere. And even if you thought that maybe it's okay to do if you disclose it, he's been hiding it. I'm telling you, the guy is so corrupt and his wife is so loony and she was part of January 6th. Clarence Thomas, Ginny Thomas, 
Don't let the door hit you on the way out. They've got to resign if we're going to have a country. This Supreme Court is a disaster right now, isn't it? Right. Like So the institutions of our American democracy have all been actively undermined and under attack. And yes, Clarence Thomas like predates all of this, but the fact that you could take money under those terms, that your spouse could be so out there supporting basically, you know, treason against the United States of America that, uh, well, frankly, the Kavanaugh, like what used to be required to sit on the highest bench when you knew it was a lifetime appointment was darn near sainthood because most people couldn't get through that kind of scrutiny. And now our Supreme Court, whether it's overturning Roe, whether it's personal ethics issues that shouldn't stand for any lawyer or any judge anywhere in America, but at the highest level at the Supreme Court, this is a sickness that threatens to undermine the legitimacy of the entire judicial branch. Yes. The entire executive branch yes. was was completely defiled under Trump. And Congress is now in the process of getting completely defiled. If you look at what McConnell has been unwilling to say to stand up and what McCarthy is willing to do for power and that the Marjorie Taylor and Boebert Green, you know, like that these folks are basically uh, the wing that is controlling the legislative branch, all three branches of the United States government have been weakened and Biden and Harris have done as much as they can through the executive but while the executive is getting repaired, if only the executive branch is working while Congress is dysfunctional and the Supreme Court is actively rolling back rights freely for the first time in history, eroding rights, you can't run a real democracy with one branch of government that's okay and two that are deeply sick. There have been a couple of huge developments since episode 15. One of them, Dobbs. Oh. Roe v. Wade going bye-bye. It's part of this Supreme Court thing. I'm outraged by it, but you are a female. And to me, this is outrageous what they're doing to female rights. Speak to me. I literally, when I heard this decision, my first reaction privately was, I am no longer a person. I am now... Property, I am back to chattel. I am a second class. I am not a person anymore. Corporations are people. I'm not a person. Because you can't control your own body. Because if you have no agency, if you have no autonomy, if you have no, it, it goes to the core question of free will. This isn't even about the reproductive aspect. This is about control, whether who gets to control who. And the fact that somebody else has decided that basically half the population in this country can't think for themselves, can't make decisions for themselves, and don't have the right to fundamentally control their own life, their own future, their own agency. And what I wanted people to think about is what does this mean as people start to prosecute? They're going to be asking you about your menstrual history. They're going to be going after your medical records. They're going to be like, oh, I don't know. Was it really a miscarriage? Was it maybe something else? Um, we saw international cases in El Salvador of women in prison for having an abortion. My grandmother lived at a time, my dad's mom, before birth control was legal and before Roe versus Wade was the law of the land. And 
over the course from her life to mine had been the story of growing and building, recognizing equal rights for women and our own ability to make our own life decisions. It was unthinkable to me that at this point in history, I would be losing rights that my grandmother gained. When she was accepted to CU Law School, and she got pregnant because there was no birth control and there was no other reproductive options that were out there, and you weren't allowed to be a woman and probably in most of these institutions anyway, but visibly present, pregnant, you right. know, was also not supposed to be okay. Right. So it forced women to lose their education, their careers, their family, their everything. And it's like, okay, so my dad was born in 1928. And as we get to Connecticut versus Griswold in 1964. Your dad was the child? He was. So that's an interesting twist. She didn't have an illegal abortion at the time she had your father. No, but both. But my mom in particular, because she's always been so open with me, grew up at a time where young women were, this was pre-Row. Right. And whether it was the painful, you know, the, the secrets and the pain of incest, of rape, of even just dating situations, of people who weren't telling their kids about science-based sex education, right. contraception wasn't really there. My mom's generation know people who were infertile for life because of unsterile back alley abortions, and they know people who have died. And um, when I was Right as the Roe decision was coming out, I was actually in uh, a senior community in Wingcrest, which is in Douglas County. You mean the Dobbs decision? When the Dobbs decision right. came out, overturning I'm Roe. old enough to remember when Roe came out. You're not old enough. Um, there were women in the senior home who were in tears. And they were having side conversations because it brought back so much trauma that they had thought they had moved past. And it wasn't in a public space, but I was seeing small groups of older women in a nursing home having these conversations, talking about what the Dobbs decision meant. They were scared. And I had someone come up to me afterwards and said, we're in the twilight of our life and we wanna know that things are gonna be okay, that what we've done in our life has made a difference. and." All of us who've been working on this our whole life now know, don't, we, we can't know if we're okay, if we're going backwards, and has everything we've ever worked for our whole life been for nothing? Holy cow. And I don't know how to answer that because we're not okay. No, we're not okay. And think how much worse it is if you are in Idaho right. or Mississippi where women right now are losing their rights. Idaho, they're talking about Arresting people if they try to leave the state to have an abortion, it's remarkable. I mean, and if you think about the whole reason why we have a constitutional right, you know, on interstate travel, it is literally imprisoning women in the same state with no rights and no agency. And and that is dehumanizing, it is degrading, and it will ruin lives and it will traumatize people because some elected officials think 
that it is their right to basically tell other people what to do. All right, let's get back to happy talk because okay. we still live in a democracy and most people agree with you and me. And instead of talking about Idaho, let's talk about Wisconsin. Yeah. Isn't Wisconsin the happiest story? Isn't that the future of the Republican Party, the loser party? Did that cheer you on Tuesday? That cheered me up. Um, I still think it's weird to elect judges because in Colorado, it's like, wow, that's really strange. But yes. it was... I promise my <laughs> appellate opinion will read this way. Yes. I mean, right. And how do you take campaign contributions? Yes. As a and go ahead, counsel. Give me your best argument. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's so right. weird. But uh, that's because I've lived in Colorado my whole life. Um, but I think it's incredibly good news. And I think the fact that, uh, look, Kansans passed a ballot measure. I think the public in this country is still with us. But whether it is gerrymandering on redistricting, um, there's a really narrow majority in the House. And we need to remind people that um, it is very narrow. And when you look at the redistricted states, we probably would have a Democratic majority in the House right now. Um, seeing at least pockets, it has elevated the importance of states and local governments to be these like islands of sanity while all this other stuff is going on. But the fact that we could have such wildly different rights in different states. Right. But most people are with us on Roe v. Wade, a woman's right to choose. That's true. And, and Wisconsin proved it. Now we get to the gun issue. Before we started the podcast this late Thursday afternoon, we've seen the turmoil in Tennessee. You served in a state house. Can you imagine expelling people for joining the protest? We just had that happen. East High kids coming down. I imagine some Democrats were sympathetic. Holy cow, to expel legislators. What's going on in Tennessee? This is part of a pattern of overthrowing elections, right? That somebody can be expelled for exercising a First Amendment right and really for a democracy to be healthy. When people are demanding their elected officials act, that needs to be heard. And giving voice to the public that you represent who want to see their elected officials act and that it is the elected official who got enough votes and was duly brought into office that people can abuse power so repeatedly to punish people who think differently than them. Um, I, you know, we were listening um, to the interviews that's afterwards, but just how misguided it is. Like you're not, you're not acting for kids. You're not acting for public safety. You're not outraged about little people being shot or people getting shot up in schools. You want to go punish people who are giving voice to the public on their right to protest. And the irony of this, when we're talking about people who are upset but a peaceful protest, and meanwhile, they're silent when there's an armed plotted coup against the United States Capitol, expulsion is overriding people's votes. We've done it very rarely. And in Tennessee, he was talking about examples like 22 accusations around. We've done one expulsion, and that was Steve Lepsock, and that was around a pattern of sexual harassment. You have to do wrongdoing, not just exercise right. your free speech to get expelled. Horribly dangerous precedent. We could spend the rest of this talking about guns, but we did that on episode 50. And do you remember what shooting that followed? 
you know, it's like every week, but I listened to it again. It was after that incident in uh, Arvada where the innocent helper picked up a gun and then he got shot. Holy cow, there are just too many guns out there. But we're not going to re-chew that. Also, I found out during that episode, you're fourth generation Colorado with a lot of Western Slope background, but you and I are Colorado people. I remain ignorant. Yes, I went to New York City and stuff like that, but I don't know shit about the South. Tennessee, what do I know? But you probably know these people a little better. Let's move a little further south during this, uh, God forbid, civil war in North Carolina where they just flipped some Democrat to get a Republican majority. Do you know anything about that? Well, really just what you've read about it. I don't know the lawmaker who did it. Deeply disappointing. Um, Why you would want to give those folks a veto-proof anything. This isn't like a contest between sane ideas. This is just, you know, because the party is every state now nationally has been taken over by the most extreme of elements. So deeply disappointing. And when I see somebody switching parties under terms like this, this is someone who's not committed to the public good. This is somebody who thinks, oh, well, I'll get more if I'm part of the Republican majority. I guess I don't know her. I I can't. I don't know for sure if I'm right. But um, where's the North Carolina Democratic Party? You probably have a ranking at this point. Who's good? Who's bad? Is that weak leadership there? If Morgan Carroll was in charge, I don't think they would have these defections and probably would have had a bigger majority. Oh, gosh, interesting question. I mean, if you usually know who's happy and unhappy at some point in the party, right? And some people who are targeted with a lot of vitriol sometimes think about changing. But Colorado just hasn't really seen it, partly because we're a broad coalition of people now. We are a big tent. We have a huge range of opinions within our Democratic Party. But um, I, I would not want to be chair of I, – I mean, really, I, I was recently on a trip where I was with the chair of Oklahoma Dems, um, Kentucky Dems. Um, and, you know, Kentucky's a more interesting case for what's there. But if you're in Oklahoma, the Democrats control nothing right mm-hmm. now. And and th- your only job when you're the state party chair there is to give a counter perspective to the press. Like it is so red and and right. extreme that they don't, you know, they don't have a majority right. of anything. Right. Sad. Horrible. Tough. Tough. Let's keep in the South, Georgia, thinking about that, Marjorie, Taylor Greene, et cetera. And um, the politics down there, uh, I I use Georgia as my font since they saved the country. (laughs) I love it. You know, twice in a row. Yes, yes. And Senator Warnock, do you know he does the introduction to the play I saw called Parade? I didn't know that. Yes. He does the voiceover introduction. Have you met him? I haven't met him. Uh, I would he's love a rock star. Raphael Warnock. Oh, I mean, I know. Of course As a Jewish is. person, how much do you know about the lynching of Leo Frank? Not enough. Oh, my gosh. 1913. That's the subject of the play, Ben Platt. <gasps> yes, it's a musical. Oh. It's about the lynching, and it's, it's about the old South. It's on my mind, Georgia on my mind. Got to get Marjorie Taylor Greene out of there. And you know what county that happened in? No. 
same place where Bonnie Willis is in charge, Fulton County, Georgia. Isn't that unbelievable? Oh, wow. And she's reopened that case because it's still a bit of a mystery who killed uh, little Mary Fagan, a little beautiful Irish girl. You've got to see this because a lot of Jewish people, including me, did not know that much about it. And as I wrote in my Colorado Sun column, I heard neo-Nazis were protesting the play. That made me want Wanna to go? see it. <laughs> like, this it's is fantastic. Michaela Diamond plays Lucille Frank, who fights for justice while her husband's in prison. Do you know how this story goes? No, you, uh, it seems The DA timely. was ambitious, right? He yeah. wanted to be governor someday. The governor eventually got persuaded that Leo Frank got railroaded because all the northern newspapers came down and black people were saying, hey, we've been getting lynched. We don't get this kind of attention. But the prosecutor had uh, put pressure on a witness to lie against Leo. And then the governor commutes his sentence, just like John Hickenlooper-like, right? Mm. And uh, you have a commutation and he, he says the death penalty is not going to be applied. But the people of George break into the prison, and they grab him, and they lynch him. Whoa. I don't mean to give it away, but it is a historical yeah, In case people event. don't see it, go it's watch like it. It's like Hamilton saying, you know, there is a duel, okay? But it <laughs> yeah. still is a great story, and I know a lot more. So I'm thinking about the South. Let's go further south to Florida. Ron DeSantis, a total Republican state. They're going to pass his six-week abortion law. I think they're cutting their own throat, as Republicans are prone to do, but holy cow, how did Florida go from voting for Barack Obama to being this kind of crazy town? Two insights on Florida. One is, um, over my six years as chair of the Colorado Dems, the Florida Dems have had a different chair every year. Mm-hmm. A lot of turnover. That's not good. Mm-hmm. That has helped Republicans right. get a, str- a, a stronghold. The second is I've learned through disinformation and cyber campaigns that Florida has been a target. You said Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, calling everybody groomers, you know, because they know it's psychological warfare. They know that there's no one who's going to be more despised than somebody who molests children. So it doesn't matter that it's obviously false. They started targeting Biden as a groomer. They targeted online and social media to Latino voters uh, about pedophilia, like these strange conspiracy theories. And so there have been these anti-democratic experiments. And Florida has been a top target because it has such a prize for electoral vote counts. And they've been relentless in terms of soft side, undisclosed, dark money, with the kind of messaging that's coming right out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth, and it works. Add to it natural disasters where there's uneven recovery, where poor communities, where democratic communities are treated unevenly and unequally, where people need to leave the state or move to different parts of the state because they can't get help. They're very partisan in terms of how they handle natural disasters. So I think the fact that there's been so much turnover in the Democratic Party and so much targeting by right-wing billionaire money on really deep psychological manipulation in order to skew the votes. doesn't matter if it's not true. It's repeated enough. There's enough money behind it that people just have a seed of a doubt, like, well, maybe that's true. 
and it actually works or they wouldn't do it. It changes outcomes. That's so interesting because that was the National Enquirer model. You take a seed of something, then you exaggerate it or you uh, distort it. But there is a crime problem. Uh, This executive guy killed on the streets of San Francisco. People are worried about safety in big cities, and they're blaming the Dems for it. Is that fair? No. So I think the first thing we need to realize is that gun crimes are crimes too. And where we have had Democrats in control, they have tackled gun crime. And where we have Republicans in control, they have stuck their head in the sand and done nothing about gun crime. So the most violent of crimes really almost always involves guns. And we've got one party who's actually been acting on public safety there and one that isn't. The second factor is really that as people face addiction, um, where there's mental health issues going on, where there's uh, sort of a lack of a safety net structure to get people before they kind of snap or, or, or maybe do go on to commit a crime. The people who've been investing in treatment, red flag laws to intercept when someone is an obvious danger to themselves or others, it has basically been one political party who's been doing this lift. But meanwhile, everywhere around, whether it's economic issues We saw across the country, really, I think a lot of spike in criminal activity. COVID did some strange things to our social fabric. We we de-socialized in some ways. Uh, People decompensated in some ways. And some people who were maybe on the margins fell off the margins. And whether it's you know, trying to help young people get back in school, whether it's actually the, the toll it took on people's relationships, Um, the work toll, the economic toll, the impact psychologically of the pandemic is not a partisan issue. And we have basically, we've got a country who is deeply in need. This country has been traumatized recently with a lot of stuff. We're in deep need for psychological help. Once in a while, we'll get Republican support on mental health stuff, but usually they're talking about mental health as a foil to guns, but then when it comes time to funding mental health, they don't want to fund that either. So if they're not funding mental health and they're not taking on gun violence, then while we are collectively across all parties seeing an uptick in crimes we should be concerned with, in my view, I see one party doing things that's trying to tackle it and another party that's just excited to do political mailers about it. I think that's right. I was involved in the game for a long time, working under Democrats, Norm Early, Bill Ritter, and our priority was gun crimes, and I think we did a pretty good job. I think you can get tough on crime, and it shouldn't be a political issue one way or the other, but let's stick with Denver, because that's big news too, Denver mayor's race. I got to interview both of the top candidates, Kelly Bruff, I think it was episode 134, Mike Johnston, episode 136, two very impressive people. Those are my thoughts. How about you? Yeah, Denver's elections are always so interesting because there's so many candidates involved. It's not like predicting a two-way race. So I went into that really not knowing who was going to get top. 
But with the benefit of hindsight there, I think those were two of the highest fundraising campaigns, so they had more money to do more communication. And you were probably seeing polling going all the way into that where very small number of people had an opinion. Right. A lot of people were going into that undecided. But Johnston I served with in the legislature, awfully bright, uh, very capable. Um, I- I've seen him negotiate and problem solve, and I think uh, he would do a great job. Um, I don't know Kelly Bruff as well, and obviously she has a lot of support in Denver too. Um, I think it's just more that we clashed with the Chambers of Commerce. So when it was workers versus corporations, environment versus corporations, consumers versus corporations, we were usually on the opposite side. Um, And so, you know, now I'm not chair. I don't really need to be neutral as between the two. I think uh, Mike Johnston would make a a stronger Democratic mayor for Denver. Wow. Yeah. So is that an endorsement right here? Morgan Carroll endorses (laughs) Mike Johnston? We'll give it through the runoff. But as between the two, I would feel better about the leadership of a mayor, Mike Johnston. Well, there you go. I bet he will want to advertise that. Uh, I, I think everything is going to change so dramatically. You've been in the whirlwind of politics. Have you paid attention to advances in artificial intelligence or played around with chat gpt so um some folks that i know who do software development um who are actually trying to do some design work that helps us in the space of like you know volunteer software has been raising the moral issue really in ai and politics and democracy we need to pay attention because while it may be used uh you know, we're always susceptible when it's about convenience. And it may be used in some predictive ways that we find helpful or convenient. But what's terrifying to me politically is the fact that with any soundbite of anyone in America, you can then type a script and make anyone say anything. So now we have deep fake videos. I can literally put words in anyone's mouth in America. And we have seen in an electoral context that people are certainly willing to deviate wildly far from facts, from truth, from real information. And this is a lose-lose with the electorate because either they get further um, sort of taught that you can't trust anything, and if you don't trust anything, you fall for anything because you really can't tell anymore what's real and what's false. Or people decide that they believe it because it's like I hear it with my own ears, I see it with my own eyes, and there's no moral backstop. You know, so the technology, as fascinating as it is, this, I think about politics, but this could have serious implications internationally on war and peace, on business sabotage. um, On everything. 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 The law. The law. Cases sports it's have you heard about the singularity no tell me about the singularity oh my gosh i just heard about it but it's the point where everybody understands that ai has taken over oh think about that iphone that you're carrying i'm carrying but instead of carrying it it's in your brain with a chat gpt function and think how smart we would be our conversation here would be like mosquitoes talking. <laughs> they are going to have 200 times the knowledge we have, and then we'll put it together. 
it's almost like humans were just put on the planet to get machinery up to speed. And some politicians, including maybe the Denver mayor, the president, on down, judges, everybody's got to deal with this. It's remarkable. When Kelly Brough was in my studio sitting where you are, before she came in, this was right when I was fooling around with Chad GPT for the first time, I said, write a winning speech for a Denver mayor candidate in the style of Barack Obama. And it printed it out in, I don't know, 10 seconds, 12 beautiful paragraphs. And it's it's it can do it. Or you can do it, you know, do it in the style of John F. Kennedy. Or whoever you wanted to choose, it'll spit it out. So everybody can impersonate, not just with yeah. voices. We're laying it down someday when you're president. People may come back to this podcast and splice it, but they may do it with video of you too. Right. Put your, you know, beautiful face on God knows what, saying who knows what. This is uh, President uh, Morgan Carroll back in the day. You know, it's scary. It's a brave new world. Can politics and politicians handle this? I don't think we're ready for this yet, is the honest answer. I think you know, underscoring the importance and that this is coming. I think sometimes new technology comes in and we're we're playing catch up. But we're not ready. I think I would go back to something someone said to me a little bit ago about how, what is the role of education in a post-factual world? What is the role of political discourse in a post-factual world? So if you have people with a will to fabricate and an infinite capability through technology to fabricate you know this is where science fiction meets reality where you can basically pervert reality itself and our society relies on shared understandings Mm -hmm. of what's real right at some extent and if we lose which we kind of had to me before trump before putin's puppet trump before people deliberately tried to divide us we weren't that far apart yeah, like you could find that common ground, right? With, and and there's a certain shared experience we had of well, like what does it mean aspirationally to be an American, and it means not trying to violently overthrow an election. Like we would have a shared understanding about that, you know, up until relatively recently. We should support our schools, support education, instead of calling them a democratic factory and criticizing them for this and that, and uh, you know, taking over, but. Our education system, and there's a lot of blame to go around, maybe some for Democrats too. You can fight it off, but I, I want to talk about East High. I showed you my mom went to East. I went to GW. It, it's horrible. I remember the riots when I was a kid. It, it hurt me to worry about my safety. Oh, my God, I'm in ninth grade. I'm going to GW. They just had a big riot. Do I have to worry? And and all these kids, they all worry now. It's horrible. What's yeah. your solution? Well, um, there isn't one single solution for what's here. I mean, if we're detecting and intervening before an acute shooting happens, that's necessary, and it's better than not intervening and detecting before a shooting happens. But there are layers of a lot deeper problem here the the world that young people are growing up in is more toxic in every sense of that word 
their future is more perilous. The support structures for young people who are struggling are less present than ever. And we've normalized a whole new world. We've normalized violence. We've extolled a kind of culture and reverie around guns. So if people are feeling frustrated or bullied, it's just our world has made it look so easy to just solve all your problems by pulling a gun on somebody. And we're watching this happen in younger and younger ages. It does involve more security, unfortunately, for our kids in our schools. That reality has landed here. But a real conversation to have with parents that when your kids are following white nationalist stuff online, when you are carrying firearms in your house and you're not storing them, if you know that you have a child who has serious anger issues, there is a role for parents here too to pay attention to what's going on with their kids because by the time it, it means that you know, you have a young person perpetrating and young people who are victims of a crime. You can't help but conclude, like, we've just failed kids on every side of Right, and that. the leadership. And and yeah. so that may be a Democratic failure. I know it's, it's a school board election, but, my God, Denver Public Schools needs better leadership. It really does. I say it as a DPS grad. Um, and it's not unique to Denver. Why don't you be school board president? Is that the job? That is a job that I applaud, and I have no idea how people do it. Michael Bennett did it, now he's senator. I want teachers, I want people who've been in the classroom who really know kids to be leading that. All right, I have another job for you. You ready? Okay. We've got a little problem over there in Russia. I know a little girl who went there at age 11. She probably understands the language, the culture, the history. Her name's Morgan Carroll. She should be a special ambassador to stop the Russian-Ukraine war. Maybe ambassador to Russia. Whoever's in there now isn't doing a great job. You ready? Definitely not. <laughs> I. You must have special thoughts about Russia, given your background. I well, I I grieve for this. So. Um, you know, it's been so many layers of oppression that has happened in this part of the world, whether it was targeting Jews, whether it was targeting other ethnic minorities, like it comes from a kind of imperialism for what's there. But Putin's background in the KGB has warped him so badly. Um, I don't think it's, I do actually think that the responses for Ukraine have been right, which is to build an international coalition to keep stepping up sanctions to supply the Ukrainians and train them for self-defense. Fighter jets? Everything. I mean, because we can't... We're holding up on giving them fighter jets. Well, I... Would you give them everything? And to me, this is good versus evil. I'm 100% for Zelensky versus Putin. I I I think we need to give them because this is about defending a democracy yes. under attack and this is also another version of trying to annihilate a whole group of yes. people right so it's a genocide so yes there's a an incremental path that's like let's see how far they can get let's see if they can win and hold this off but at some point there's so many people that are dying that are being violated that are losing their homes that are becoming refugees 
it's already going to be so many generations of trauma before, like if the war stopped tomorrow, the legacy of damage here um, to an entire people, to an entire region. But losing is really not an alternative. Because if we show that aggression against a sovereign nation, against when we've got a, a, a totalitarian regime attacking a democracy, and if we just allow democracies to fail, our own democracy isn't healthy, right? Worldwide, we are seeing challenges to the health of democracies around the world. It's a concept that we could lose in our lifetimes. Can you believe Republicans, the party of Reagan, are opposing you and me on this? No. because And we mostly had unanimity around Ukraine and then... I think Trump opened his mouth and yes. some people started to question whether we should really be helping because even that had been bipartisan. Um, and then Ron DeSantis called it a territorial dispute. He's tried to walk it back, but holy cow. All right, you're not going to go to Russia as ambassador. I've no. got another spot for you. You went there as a 16-year-old to work on a kibbutz? I lived on a kibbutz. Oh, did they have problems in Israel? This Passover... <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I got invited to uh, Bibi Netanyahu's big speech in Washington by a guy named Jared Polis. He called me, Craig, are you in D.C.? I was for an APAC wow. conference I was covering. I have an extra ticket because I'm on the escort committee. Would you like to go? It was the hottest ticket in town. I thought Bibi gave the greatest speech in Jewish history. I was leading the chairs. And now I think he's a crook. He's on the take. And because he faces criminal liability, this is my realm again. You should never let a guy like that be your leader. Look never. at Trump, you know, and holy cow, Israel, what a problem. Can you solve that for us this Passover, I'll get, please? I'll get right on that. By the time Passover's over, I'll have it all figured out. Um, right. I mean, the idea of you're going to use and abuse power to commit crimes and then try to basically undo the uh, institutions of democracy. I mean, sound familiar? People don't like going to jail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what really concerns me is I think we're seeing a trend in people who will grab power at all costs, who are willing to abuse power and use that power to shut down uh, dissenting voices, to basically weaken people's rights. And it is part of a global move towards a more authoritarian. The laws don't apply to me. I'm above the law. And we, we lost our moral authority to really have a whole lot to say um, about the rest of the world. I mean, I will be the first to say I think we've been too interventionist at other points in time. But I don't think it's too much to say that we are at an existential moment where democracies are being stress-tested all over the place, and I don't know how that ends yet. At least we still have the right to speak out. And I know somebody with moral authority, that's you. You are a success story. Um, your background, amazing. Again, go to episode 50 to find out more. But you are at the zenith of your career, and I just can't wait to see what you do next. Will it involve the media? Because people need to be educated, and you are spectacular at this. You are so good at communicating, and uh, doesn't the time fly by? The time flies by. I um, 
I, I, what I know for sure is that all of these things that are keeping us up at night, I'm going to be wrestling with. It's keeping me up. I'm going to feel like I need to do everything I can in my corner of the world to protect rights, to defend democracy, to tell the truth about what's happening, and also to show people their power of their vote, of how to get involved in government, that elections matter, that people should think about running. But the human side, as hard as it is, like we've got to address the polarization because Every factor that studied failed democracies shows it is preceded by intense polarization, attacks on the media, vilification of, of other citizens, silencing dissent, threatening people who disagree with you. We know what precedes the collapse of a democracy. And I'm only one person, but I'll tell you, I, I will do everything I can to make sure we're doing truth to power, that we're telling the truth about what's there. And I know you'll be doing the same thing. And, um, you know, when I know and I, I'm, I'm at liberty to say what I'm doing next, I'll be excited to share that too. But I think a lot of us as advocates get into this because we fundamentally at our core, and maybe we share this also as being Jewish, but you can't sit on the sidelines. You cannot be a bystander. When your democracy is under attack, when human beings are being under attack, when hate crimes are on the rise, that is not an option. Right. Because in our parents' lifetime, in a Western, civilized, Christian country, this fever got unleashed. And we can't let it get that far. We need to take note of history. And let's end with optimism, because in Tennessee, the people are taking to the streets and this school shooting shit, it's ridiculous. And eventually the country will say, you know what? We have too many guns. We see what the NRA and the Republicans are doing. We need to have some common sense reforms. And with regard to Donald Trump, we already talked about it. The cascade of evidence, just like in The Wizard of Oz, the curtain's going to come back. And people will say, you know, I was never with that guy, really. And maybe we can get over the fever like they did 100 years ago when the Klan came to Colorado. I, I think the majority of Americans are decent people who want good lives for themselves and for their families. I do not think that the moment we're in right now really does reflect the majority of people in this country or even in the world. And so one of the things we can think about is how do we pull together all people of goodwill to pull decency and dignity and common good back into a conversation. Because if you just look at the headlines, this is insanity. Like, we can't accept this as a new normal, right? But here's my optimism. Okay. You're still a young person. You're at your zenith. But I can see you among the people who replaced the Nancy Pelosi's and the Joe Biden. And you might be the first female governor of Colorado someday or the first female president or second or third president of the United States, but you are far from finished and you've given me another spectacular podcast. I can't thank you enough. I knew you back in the day and you are only getting stronger and wiser. Uh, well, thank you. And I think our work is not done and hopefully um, still lots to do out there. And um, 
I will feel better if we no longer needed it, but we still need it. So I'm all in for all the causes that might help. Thank you, Morgan. Happy Passover. Happy Passover. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Troubadour. Hi, Craig. Chag Sameach Pesach. And a happy Pesach to you. That's a serious slug of whiskey that I poured for you. Thank you. Do you agree? I'm ready for it. It's Friday afternoon. Shabbat Shalom. And Shabbat Shalom. How did the uh, Passover go for you? We had a wonderful Seder with our uh, good friends, and uh, we missed you, but I know you have your Seder with your friends and family. And so uh, we can come together afterwards and have a little wine. Correct. Plus, Passover lasts eight days. And if you are really religious, then you have satyrs on the last two nights, too. I just do it the first two nights. How about you? As my mom would say, enough already. One satyr. (laughs) One satyr for me. I'm still recovering. Has it occurred to you that that could be because your family comes from Germany and mine from the... East Poland, the shtetls. Could well be, yeah. You guys originated Reform Jewry, and I don't know why I do tonight, other than my parents did. Same with Rosh Hashanah. And then other people do so much more. It's just kind of what was handed down to you, right? That's right. But it's a wonderful holiday and a great time to be with people you love. Can I just say that my wife is beyond belief? Do you know she performed to the levels of my beloved mother, who was masterful? 
I've never seen my wife perform better, and she's mentoring younger women. We had about 10 people the first night, a little smaller crowd the next uh, night, but it's good, and I mix it up. I tell new jokes every Seder. I bet her tr- her brisket is very good. It's it's up there with mine, Craig. Okay, can I tell you that if you perform well, it's coming down to you, piping hot? Well, and did you perform well with your as, whiskey? as the Seder, as the leader of the Seder? How did it go? I did. You know, I, I really don't have anybody there to correct me on my Hebrew, so that makes me sloppy and uh, uncorrectable. I had a little uh, six-year-old over uh, last night. So that was a lot of fun. Passover is really about the kids. You're going to be a great grandfather. I think I could be if I can hold on that long. Well, I can't wait for grandchildren because you're right. Passover is is for kids. There's nothing sillier than seeing a bunch of 60 and 70-year-olds running around looking for the afikoman. I know. I feel like uh, I am in that paternal role, but my wife, I declared her the matriarch of the family the chicken soup, the gefilte fish. We had egg drop the first night. Do you have egg water? Do you know that? Egg water? No. No. Did you have gefilte fish? Of course. With horseradish? Yes, with Red horseradish. and white? Chopped liver, brisket, the whole works. We have, wait till you taste Trish's brisket. I don't mean to embarrass you, but there's a reason it's called Trishkit. And I know. I've had it. It's delicious. Do you know who was in my house on Pesach? She celebrates too, Morgan Carroll. Oh. She recorded right where you are in the home studio. And uh, it's a remarkable story. Episode 50 was fantastic. We had 4th of July because it was our anniversary show. And now she's back just like the most successful person in the world. But even since we talked, there's a new ruling Banning a certain abortive facient that's been available to women for over 25 years, you know, like the Plan B pill. Right. And it's been uh, the ruling of a judge appointed by Donald Trump down in Amarillo, Texas, handpicked by the plaintiffs, a religious group. Right. Released on Good Friday. And now we have a serious conflict because another judge, some smart lawyers in liberal states, got a ruling from another judge, and guess what? Now uh, there's conflict in the U.S. Supreme Court will have to rule, including Clarence Thomas, who should be disqualified. That son of a gun, he's been taking millions of dollars in luxury this, vacation that. It's just bullshit. Do you I think mean, that's going to blow up, or do you think it'll blow over? No, I, I think at a certain point, all this is coming together. And that's why you have the most incredible song to fit the times, place in the sun, kind of a generational change. But you put it together with the gun issue coming to a head, the race issue coming to a head. You know, you put that together in your song. How do you do that? I did that after the Parkland shooting. You do it when you're... When you're passionate about something, Leonard. I know, but you put race into it, and what happened in Tennessee with the ex, uh, expelling of two black legislators, young men, and the key is that the two Justins, Justin Pearson and Justin Smith, they are so courageous and outspoken 
not speaking gibberish, but speaking fluidly, passionately about a subject I believe in. We have to do something about this gun violence. And the answer isn't more guns. It can't be that. We have to get rid of these assault weapons. Nine-year-olds are dying. We're letting anybody carry it. That damn Ron DeSantis signed a bill this week saying anybody can carry any kind of weapon they want in Florida anytime. It's like it's like a thumb in it's like a thumb in the eye of 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 gun control proponents. Yes. Right. Right. Do you want to go to Florida now? No, I never really wanted to go to Florida, but I, but I do think the assault weapons need to go. I, I even I think even good patriotic law-abiding gun owners responsible gun owners, a lot of them agree that these are military weapons like tanks or hand grenades or shoulder-mounted anti-aircraft, you know, uh, missile. Yes. And speaking of John Morris and assault weapons, you say they should be banned. I think of John Morris. John Morris was a great guest of mine advocating for the total banning of assault weapons. And he kind of gave up his job as the leader of the Senate Dems when he got recalled over guns. But he didn't care, came on my show, called out Jared Polis over this issue. I'm thinking about John Morris because our little podcast had the two top mayoral candidates speaking Episode 134, Kelly Brupp, sitting right where you are. She's in the final two. Mike Johnston, episode 136, he was excellent. He's made plans to come back. And John Morris wrote something against Kelly Brupp, saying she isn't tough enough on guns. Kelly Brupp fired back in the Denver Post, saying, yes, I am. I support banning assault weapons. I have to go back over my broadcast to see what was said by all the parties concerned, but I know all these people, and it's kind of cool that uh, the major candidates for mayor, the two survivors, have both been guests on our podcast. It's great. I yeah. think so. Yeah, and I just don't understand. You know, it's the assault weapon. I just can't see really the logic in in selling to to um, citizens. I think it's purely a political, um, you know, disagreement. Uh, it has nothing to do with common sense is the thing. I think people can't see what's in front of them. Instead, it's it's emblematic of something, right? They're taking our guns, the government, and this and that. I think that's why a lot of people uh, resist those kinds of, of changes. Right, but there's a certain percentage of gun owners who make the argument that we need these big weapons to fight the government. right. Right. Okay, and yeah. if we get that far, we are in big trouble. We are in big trouble in this country because of judges planted in our system by Donald Trump. And some of these rulings, like uh, the banning of abortive pacients, it's an outrage in Colorado, but what about our neighbor to the north, Wyoming? What about Idaho, where they are going to lock you up if you try to come to Colorado for an abortion, did you hear about that? No, you I can't have not. leave. You can't leave. If you're a youngster and you get pregnant, don't dare take that child to Denver from Boise. 
Can you really? believe it? You have that's what it's coming to, Dave Gunders. And who's gonna and who's gonna enforce that? And who's gonna even find that out? I mean, what's what are we talking about? They're gonna be the mor- morality police yes. like in Iran. Yes. Yeah. They're gonna check women's menstruation cycles, gosh, Morgan Carroll is so articulate about this. And I really think as big an issue as this is for you and me when it comes to women's rights. It's bigger for women. Now, gun rights, holy cow, it's just awful that our kids have to go through the trauma of thinking about getting shot at a school. By an AR-15, Washington Post put out a special, and I couldn't get all the way through it, but the gist of it is this. We're not talking normal bullets. Right. If you get hit, you're dead. Right, right. Right. It's a no, and cops are scared of it. That's what happened in Uvalde. So why do we keep putting it out there to enrich the gun manufacturers? And really, it's it's kind of the wet dream of Vladimir Putin, which is why he meddled with the NRA. He saw what's going on. I just see things coming to a head, Dave Gunders. It ain't good, but your song is spectacular because it's a little more hopeful. I mean, first of all, it's different for you. It's got your element. The sun, I mean, you can't get more elemental than that. But uh, it's sort of country, and it's got a fiddle in it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Isn't that a little unusual? Yeah, I mean, I know Johnny Neal is the, is the player, and uh, it, it's country. Um, it was, it, it, it's about a new generation. It, it, is, it is an anti, um, you know, gun, well. Right. It, it's. It's taking issue with the people who don't accept some kind of control of, over, over guns. But, uh, it's all, but it's also about a new generation coming into their own, changing things, seeing things differently, having new conversations. That's these two Justins out of Tennessee. So it's, it's a remarkable song. It fits exactly what we were talking about in these troubled times. Um, and the way I think just... Back-to-back lines, you you tie gun violence to the race issue. And it's kind of an upbeat song, but you wrote it after Parkland. How do you do it? Is that your optimism is shining through that the young people will figure it out? Yes. The problem is, what what about the poor young people who die? They'll never figure it out. They will never figure it out. No. Yes. They've been, you know, that opportunity has been stolen from them and it's it's terrible it's tragic and they have to figure it out so it's up to the younger people yes. to come I mean, and to, they're to colleagues they're buddies right yeah. yep and just what happened in tennessee is what we saw at east high school i went to new york city the only violence i experienced was hearing about east high school and feeling bad for denver trying to get the reports and then they went to our capital it didn't get that disruptive, but what happened were these uh, Tennessee protesters joined with the students, and right. they brought out bullhorns just like our guest last week, Terrence Roberts. He's famous for his use of a bullhorn, and for that, the question is, you really expel somebody? Because this is the elected representative. It's, it's interesting. I thought, well, what if I did that in court? I guess what after you know, what was the context? I don't know. It's just strange times in courts and legislatures. Right, right. 
with partisanship taking the, the lead, the wheel, driving it. Yes. Yes. And before we leave the subject, it happened, it seems like a long time ago now, but Donald Trump got arrested. He was in court. Did you see any of that? I've been listening. I didn't watch. Did you see when he walked into the, uh, from the hallway, he had to go through a little uh, place where- What did he do? Pump his fist? No, he seemed chastened. And the coolest thing is the cop who preceded him, kind of a court officer, it was one of these swinging doors. And usually in courthouses, especially older courthouses, they can be heavy. So he kind it's like if you're going in a restaurant, you'd probably hold it for the next person behind you. Especially no. (laughs) Did Trump Trump, get whacked? It wasn't dramatic, but he was kind of. Holy shit, I got to push my own door here. <laughs> yeah. And he did. He didn't get hurt, but he had his, he, he's not happy. He's and the problem he's... is this guy ain't going down easy and he's got his people out there. Anyway, um, the charges, can I just weigh in since I am a lawyer? I'm listening. Do you understand what he's accused of? I mean, there's. 34 felony 34, counts, right? He, he doctored his records. It's right. like your company, Lookout Renovations, it's, yeah. all right? You're incorporated, right. right? That's right. You have to turn in certain things. That's right. Okay. So if you put in some false accounting, you'd never do that. You would have an MBA from CU. Okay, it's not the biggest crime in the world. It's sort of like if you walk in the wrong house. Do you think that's a terrible crime? Depends on your intent. I mean, you're drinking right now. Say you walked into a neighbor's house. You just, I, I overserved you. <laughs> right? You said it depends yeah. on your intent, right? right? depends on your yeah, intent. Yeah, if you, if you were just drunk, you know, that's a low-level crime. Right. It's called first-degree criminal trespass. Right. But if you have an intent to commit a further crime inside the house, I don't know, like harass somebody, that's a misdemeanor. Or be cruel to a dog. You're mad at the neighbor's dog. Or steal stuff. Right. Or, God forbid, rape somebody. Right. Or, I mean, there's a host of bad crimes you could commit in somebody's house. That becomes a burglary, and the degree of it increases based on what you intended to do, the further crime. Makes sense. So it's an illegal entry. So if you keep one of these false business records, if they can show... You did it willfully with an intent to commit another crime, and then you're guilty of a more serious offense, felony, and therefore we have this extended statute of limitations. You know how the statute got extended for for this crime of Trump's right. for the fraudulent. Yes, it's claims. supposed to be five years. And okay, this is six years old. Federal, federal. Was it because it was no, a federal No, Andrew crime? Cuomo declared uh, a tolling, uh, a suspension because of COVID for about 14 months. Plus, there's a rule in New York that if you're living outside the state, that time doesn't count either. Oh. Which he lived in Washington and Florida. Say, anyway, it's complicated. It's never going to go to trial. And I still think, because Alvin Bragg won't say, well, what was the further crime? And he won't specify, apparently because he doesn't have to yet. But eventually, even my sense of fairness, and I can't stand Trump says, he's going to have to specify, what what further crime are you talking about? And, and it has to be related to the fraudulent um, uh, 
documents, his, yeah, yes, his business, yes, yes. his business doings. And, and the question is, does it have to be a state crime? Could it be a federal crime? And my experience with that is this. I prosecuted a lady who gave her son a Mac 11 uh, assault weapon. You know why? On his 16th birthday, you know why she gave it to him? I have no idea. Because he wanted it. Right. And so she went and bought it at a pawn shop in Aurora, okay? And she gave it to her son who lived in Montbello. Denver has an assault weapon ban. That's what John Morris was criticizing Kelly Brough about. I think Kelly did tell me she supports the assault weapon ban. I'll have to go back to that episode. But the bottom line is, there he is with that assault weapon, and then Teron Hicks is fooling around on a hot day, uh, throwing landscaping chips. You know those? Sure, mulch. Yes. They look like rocks, but they weigh about an ounce. They're bark. Right, bark. And he was throwing it at cars to get a reaction. Well, Danny Akers, who got this gun from his mother, Debbie Sue Strait, she, he uh, reacted when the, the chip got thrown in his brand new car. He was only 16. He had a car, and he had a Mac 11 on his front seat. And so he stopped, and there was a confrontation. And Teron Hicks, like, what are you going to do? And uh, Danny Akers, who looked like Opie Taylor red hair, freckles, picked up his gun. Teron probably thought it was a water gun or something, but he fired it, killed him, killed the poor guy. See that uh, picture of me with Roy Romans? Because the sure. parents yep. of Teron, yep. uh, Ron and Hicks, helped me start an organization, People United No Children's Handguns, and we prevented kids from getting certain kinds of guns Back then, they're strengthening that now. Well, so that was an where assault weapon guns, back. Where right. there's guns, there will be u- gun uses. Yes. That's and that's that's the danger of it. I mean, you know, right. it, It's dangerous for kids who get a hold of their of their parents' weapons. So Debbie Sue Strait, the mother, she came to her son's preliminary hearing, and she's sitting there. And I called her as a witness, and they objected. I said, "Hey, I can call anybody as a witness." And I made her tell that story. And then we charged her with the crime. And she said, well, you didn't advise me of my rights. She wasn't under arrest. It's a public courtroom. And contributing to the delinquency of a minor means you help a minor commit a a crime. It can be a federal crime, a state crime, a civil or municipal crime. And in this case, it was a state statute class four felony, she helped him violate Denver's assault weapon ban by giving him that assault weapon. She bought an Aurora. She gave it to him at the Montbello home, and he used it in Denver to kill this kid. Class four felony. Therefore, the hinge crime was just a municipal ordinance. So I think this New York law, to me, it could be any kind of crime, it's a little untested. I think there are bigger fish to fry to come when it, uh, with Trump. Yes. But it's interesting. It gets back to guns, the same old issue. And I just don't want our children to have to keep worrying about guns and getting killed. And No. And then the other thing I'd like to just bring up, too, are the suicides. You know, yes. I think, I, think um, I don't know what the exact statistics are, but of all of the 
all of the gun deaths in this country in a given year. I mean, what is it, like 80,000, 90,000? It's a lot, a lot of people. And I, I think, think about 50, but you know, they said firearms death has finally exceeded it. And regardless, this idiot Charlie Kirk, who's on Denver Trump Radio, 710 Ken U.S., a Trump butt boy is saying, hey, we don't get all worked up about the car deaths. And he said, we just have to get used to these school shootings and these uh, gun deaths because that's the price of freedom. No. And, and the thing I say is vehicles have a utility. They allow commerce. They allow us to service other people. And the utility of guns is just not that apparent to me. And I was in the business. And yes, I've seen cases where weapons are used for lawful self-defense, but they don't compare in number to what we see on the other side. So they just, again, they lie about numbers and arguments. Charlie Kirk did never, he never went to college. Neither did Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh. Maybe if they did, they could puzzle this out better. I hope that um, this new generation, you know, when you think about the younger generation, right? Millennials, um, and even before that, I think Gen X, and the changes that took place, say, with um, same-sex marriage, and just the overall, the, the way our society has come to accept gay, not just marriage, but being gay, right? That's That's been a sea change. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would have even But has predicted. it really been accepted well, by the right wing? No, it hasn't. And right now, there's a backlash to that with everything, you know? Right. But, you know, like, like trans, transgender it's rights. It's just and, like, has civil rights really been accepted by everybody? No, it's like the old South and the old conservatism no, and the Clarence Thomases of the world. They don't think like we do. I agree. But I, what I'm saying, Craig, is these people were, are getting older. And I think the younger generation will will take on gun control with more, you know, with a more meaningful conversation, you know, look. That's where the two Justins come in, because yes. they're in their 20s. My God, this perfect time for your song. It talks right away. What's the first line? It's about the new generation. Yeah. It's about my old. The first line is about my old generation, the hippies. Right. But we're, we're, we're old now. No, yeah. but you still think you're in your 20s. You still realize you, you feel like one of the young people who sure. need to make the change. I do, too. Sure. I mean, it's bullshit. The baby boomers have let a lot of things go way too far. That's part of why we do this podcast, brother. I'm with you. How much every of that whiskey do you... Oh, you're every doing time. a good job. I'm about halfway through. Thanks for your generosity. I, I can weave home from here. No, you're going to get the brisket. It's too bad <laughs> it's not on air, but God, I'm telling you. Trish, can I just salute her once again on the air? I mean, Sam was home. He read spectacularly. Everybody reads of mine. I do the singing and I do the Hebrew. Nobody correcting me, but my gosh, my wife, it just, I love her so much on the holidays. And she, she gets in that rhythm. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't that the fun thing about having a family of four? You kind of observe the rhythms and Passover's, it, it's part of our ritual spring, isn't it? Right. Very much so. Yeah. How can you just do one? Don't you feel like you need to do it again? No. In your Haggadah, <laughs> no. in your Haggadah don't you see the parts where it says on the second night? 
you do this prayer? What do you think? That's for the Silvermans to I do? Yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> I'm no great Jew. Holy cow, my bad Jew. But we did always love Passover the Silvermans. We love being neighbors with Dave Gunders. I love him being the biggest part of this show. Troubadour, Shabbat Shalom. Happy Pesach. And to you, Craig, happy Pesach. Take care, buddy. Shabbat Shalom. Now in our time, my generation learned to cross those lines. It wasn't well received by the power elite. They lost their patience with the hair and the guitars and the flowers and the bees. pandemic and otherwise a lot of people have so much affection for their pets that must come up all the time what's going to happen to scruffy what can you tell us about that michael bailey what you can do is create a pet trust in colorado you put money into trust and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog and it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. 
So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, I told you Troubadour has a song for every occasion. And this Tennessee legislative situation is addressed by a place in the sun about guns and race. And he's optimistic. I hope we can all be. The new generation has to be better. That's the Passover prayer that I will take forward for the rest of this Pesach. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Morgan Carroll, who celebrates our holiday based on Moses and a bunch of Jews who started wandering around until they landed in Israel, Anoibe, Israel. Lots to talk about next week. Tell a friend. And for those of you celebrating Easter, happy Easter. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.